Welcome to Drill to Detail, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. So I'm joined today by Bud Endress, Director of Product Management at Oracle, and someone I've known for many years, back from the days when I used to work with Oracle Express, right through to Oracle's in-memory database now, and the recent Analytic Views feature. So Bud, welcome to the show, and it's uh, great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. So Bud, I mean, just tell us a bit about um, what the role you do at Oracle at the moment. Um, yeah, that's fine. So as you mentioned, my title is Director of Product Management. Um, what that means to me is that, um, first of all, I work in the development organization. Um, so I sit with engineering and my role is primarily product planning and delivery uh, into the sales organization. Um, so you know, there's a few things here. Um, is really a part of a larger product leadership team uh, involving product management and engineering. I participate in setting long-term uh, directions and strategy for product within Oracle. Uh, closer to home, my products, um, which include uh, OLAP option to the Oracle database, analytic views, part of the database in memory, and uh, more recently, um, participating on the product management teams for autonomous database and um, something that was announced at Open World, an autonomous data platform. Um, I work to drive uh, requirements, um, participate in specification design processes, and things like that. Um, my nature is to be very hands-on uh, with product. Uh, I often prototype new features and things like that. Um, and later in the development process, um, evaluation of features and finally delivery um, into the sales organization. And then we uh, start the cycle again. Fantastic. So, I mean, as I said at the start, I've known you, I've known of you certainly and, and known you recently um, for, for many years. And I think you've probably been the product manager that's had, um, I suppose, had the most influence um, over the things that I do, funny enough, over, over that time. I mean, I remember working... Um, Back working with Express back in the days, um, you know, when you were in that area, and right through Oracle OLAP, through to the in-memory aggregation, and we'll cover a lot of those really um, in this in this kind of uh, podcast. But take us back to, um, I suppose, your your route into Oracle all those years ago. Um, what were you doing uh, before that, and and how did that lead you into joining Oracle? What was the kind of link with IRI and Express and so on? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so you know, out of school, I was involved in a number of um, startups that failed in pretty severe ways um, and one that was um, really pretty successful. Um, I ended up at um, Information Resources uh, in 1992. Um, One of the startups I was um, in, I was involved in uh, products that were transitioning from um, character mode to, um, to Windows to sort of set the calendar there. Um, and I was hired into um, information resources as they were making a transition of a product called Data Server, which ran on Express Server that you mentioned. Um, that was transitioning from uh, character mode to Windows. And I had a lot of experience uh, in Windows when, um, when people didn't. Um, Oracle, um, acquired information resources and luckily um, I came along with that. Um, Oracle acquired my product um, data server which became Oracle Sales Analyzer and the database um, Express Server um, on which it ran. Um, so that's how I ended up at Oracle. So I mean <clears throat> people still people I people I know in the Oracle world we you know we still talk about Express with with you know, really fond memories, and 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 it was it had a um it had a kind of a, a really strong faithful following, and it, as a product, it it was you know fantastic. I mean, what what was it that you thought was special about Express at the time, and 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 why do you think it, it kind of got such a sort of following? And it was you know in the end, it was something that Oracle you know chose to acquire. Really, what was what was special about Express? Really, yeah. Well, Express was a really interesting product. Um, you know, first, um, it was, as far as I know, the very first um, multidimensional database. Um, storage was array-based um, rather than row-based, like a relational database. Um, it was highly optimized for very fast retrieval of aggregate data. 
it naturally understood concepts such as data sparsity. Um, this was reflected in the model, the calculation language, um, you know, things like that. Uh, to express, all data was data. It wasn't just a missing row. And it influenced how data was calculated. Um, so that was pretty cool. Express had a 4GL language um, that was very accessible to business users, um, pretty smart business users, but business users. Uh, you know, using this language, non-programmers could navigate data at the language level, define calculations, and so on. Um, it was a really great platform in that sense for self-service BI. Um, Express had a really cool method of filtering. Um, you'd filter dimensions, you know, time is a year level product, a part level and so on. And Express would automatically combine filters uh, on different dimensions to produce a, um, a slice of the data. And this, I, the next one I think is, um, I still think it's cool, is that it had the notion of persistent filters. So one of the things you could do is you could set, we call it status then, but you could set filters on each of the dimensions and that would remain persistent um, throughout your session until you change them. So if you were working on a certain area, you'd set your filters and go about your work and, and more or less um, you know, forget about that until you wanted to change them. Um, I, I really like that. I think that was a cool feature. And Express had a really unique transaction model. It was built for uh, what we call what-if applications. And what would happen here is the users could go in and make changes to data for very long periods of time, you know, for hours, without writing them back to the database. And all their changes uh, were isolated. So they could make changes, aggregate, make other changes, uh, you know, allocate whatever, all in their own little sandbox. Um, in the end, if they wanted to save it, it was fine. And if they didn't, um, you know, it just went away. So it's perfect for what if type applications. Um, you know, there's a lot, but those are the things that really um, stick out in my mind. Mm, yeah. I mean, and, and a sales analyzer and financial analyzer. I mean, when I, when I came into the consulting world, it was, <clears throat> I worked for a consultancy um, and uh, which was ACG, it was owned by ACG in the States. So, and uh, which you probably knew it from IRI and, uh, and OFI and OSA again were, were kind of a, were, were client applications that had very uh, you know, very good kind of uh, you know, customer satisfaction and, and were very well thought of really. I mean, so uh, so Sales Analyzer. I mean, tell us about Sales Analyzer and, and and again, what did that try and do, and why why is that remembered quite fondly? Do you think? Yeah. Okay. So um, you mentioned uh, financial analyzer and sales analyzer. Um, I, I grew up on the sales analyzer side of the house. Um, and Sales Analyzer, to the best of my knowledge, was the very first um, dimensional end-user reporting tool, self-service reporting tool. And it did a really, really good job of presenting the dimensional model um, to the end-user. So it was very natural for you know, a, a user in a marketing department to understand that sales vary by time, product geography, um, you know, demographic characteristics and things like that. And it allowed them to express uh, queries, uh, view data, and define calculations within that context. Um, so it was really powerful, but it really fit into the mentality of that business user. Um, and they, again, I think it was the very first product along those lines. Okay. Okay. So, so you were responsible for for um, sales analyzer, and there were other products around that time. I remember Ram, Ram at the time, the relational access manager, and you know those products, which were which were trying to bridge, I suppose, that 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 kind of world between relational and uh, and, and multi dimensional. And, and as you said, there was then the acquisition of um, <clears throat> of, of IRIs. Was it IRIs technology um, that by by Oracle? I mean, that must that must have been. I mean, I remember reading at the time in the in the in the in the, in the tech press that this was a massive big deal, wasn't it? And a, and a massive um, endorsement, I suppose, of the OLAP world by one of the big database vendors. Is that how you saw it at the time? Yeah. Okay. It, yeah, it was a really big deal to us. Um, you know, Oracle was a was a huge company um, compared to IRI and particularly with the software arm. Um, the uh, 
Express was first brought to the attention um, of Oracle because um, Oracle was a customer. They used Oracle Financial Analyzer. Um, when we were acquired, uh, we were actually the very first large acquisition uh, by Oracle. Oracle had not been in the habit of acquiring companies um, up until that point. Um, for us, you know, it really meant access to a lot of technology um, and a huge sales organization. Um, it also, you know, Oracle had pretty deep pockets relative to what we had. So, you know, it's just a lot of great resources, the ability to hire good people, um, and, you know, again, access to that sales organization. So, yeah, it was huge. It was really important. Okay. Okay, so so I guess when I, when when you particularly came to, to 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 my notice really was back in the days of um, when the, the I suppose the announcement was made um, that 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 Express would be I think it was back with, with back in the days of Oracle Nine I and there was the announcement that Express the technology would be start to be embedded in the database and and we started to sort of see things like Oracle Nine I OLAP and and so on maybe maybe just tell us a bit about the the the, the story and the thinking around that because um, you could have gone different ways I mean if you think about say what what um, Arbor did with their space it was always kept standalone but you know you went down the route of embedding it what was the thinking behind that yeah well even before we were part of Oracle um, we always had customers that wanted to um, have the features of Express, the dimensional model and the language and things like that, and access uh, large volumes of data. And their choices were to load data into the um, Express Cube, the Express database, and you know that took time and processing. Um, and the request was to be able to leave the data in place in a relational database, but still access it in the same way. So even before we were acquired by um, Oracle, uh, we built something called Relational Access Manager, which was a dynamic bridge between the dimensional model and relational databases. Um, so we began this process really, really early, and the motivation was um, really um, seamless access to data in relational databases without the pain of um, without loading and moving it, and that got us some um, greater scalability and. You know, that's just what customers uh, wanted to do. Um, you know, later on, um, obviously, we got to um, deeper integration points. So, so I mean, I remember, I remember at the at the time, it was it was. Um, I think like any kind of you know, I suppose initial integration, it was it was. Um, I remember at the time we were you know we were thinking. I think the first the first iteration of Nine Olap was 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 relational, wasn't it? Um, and um, is it, well, t- tell us about how Nine Olap, I suppose, evolved, and and you know the, the, the way the way you went from you know relational, multi-dimensional, that sort of thing. Right. So you know, with Express, we had a multi-dimensional database and multi-dimensional storage, and we thought that it'd be a great idea if what we could do is always layer over relational storage, uh, eliminate the need to move data into uh, the Express database. And really, at the same time, um, there was um, movement around um, standardization of OLAP APIs. Um, I forget what the standard was called, but there was an attempt in the community to define a, um, an API, a standard API uh, for multidimensional access. So in 9i, what we tried doing was um, developing a Java OLAP API and it always access data from relational tables. This was separate um, from Express Server. You know, I, I think the concept was kind of ahead of its time, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, the database wasn't really ready to handle this load. Um, it, it, it just never matched the performance of Express Server. And also by moving the data um, from um, the, um, or by moving the, um, the language from the multi-dimensional language to a Java API, um, we lost the focus on the business user. It really became a developer. Um, it, it was a good experiment, but at the end of the day, yeah. uh, you know, it really uh, it didn't catch on. It was interesting. I mean, I think there, there were, I mean, looking back at it, some, some things, I remember, I remember the, uh, I think when, when Enterprise Manager became the kind of tool that was you managed things with, and there was a, 
famous i mean i remember working consulting often you just get an error message with a red bell with a with a thing clanging against it and and no message and it 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 was there were early days but everybody knew their early days and and you know it was interesting during i think it was 99 release 2 that 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 you know you start to get the multidimensional stories coming back into it again um and you know it was it was something where um, you know, you could see you could see the, the obvious benefits managing it as part of the database and, and and so on. But it was, you know, it was probably I think te- for me it was like I think 10G w- was when you know I think it was that was that when you had an analytic workspace manager come out. And I think that that you, you could see it was you could, like, having worked in product management, you can see how these things come in stages. And and you know, what, what was the transition between nine and ten like for you really? Well, it was really the transition between 9i release 1 and 9i release 2. So we did this Olapi experiment, and you know, technically it worked, um, but it didn't catch on. And our customers told us loud and clear that they liked the dimensional model, the engine, and this and that that was expressed. But at the same time, um, it was problematic to have a separate server and storage and, you know, all the things like that. So we made the decision to um, embed the express engine into the Oracle kernel. Um, It's a huge, huge undertaking um, to merge those code bases, but we did that. And we moved the storage, the multidimensional data types into Oracle storage. So at this point, we really had um, much of the best of the Express Engine, and we had one server, which was good. We introduced a SQL interface over multidimensional data types, um, you know, which was really good. And that um, that path went on for um, for a long time, and it's still in the database. Mm. One of the questions I always had at the time was um, whether, because obviously one of the things that would made it the lack of backwards compatibility, the fact that you hadn't, you, you, we didn't support Snappy, um, and I was I always wondered to myself at the time, you know, would, was it was it you know would it was it impossible to to put Snappy support back in again, or, or I just wondered what was you thinking around that really? I mean, that was that was that a, was that a technical thing where you just you it couldn't be supported anymore because of the the, the underlying thing, or, or, or what was your thoughts on that? Um, okay, so Snappy was the. Um was the call interface language to express. Um, so this is, you know, you connected to express through Snappy and this is where commands and data moved around. Um, we could have moved that into the Oracle database, uh, but we decided um, we decided not to. Um, you know, Oracle has OCI, you know, it has um, SQLnet, uh, whatever you care to call it. And it really made much more sense to um, leverage everything that OCI had um, in its connections to the database. You know, one of the things that we wanted to get away from um, were duplications. Um, So we didn't want two separate servers. We didn't want two separate storage engines. We didn't want, um, you know, two separate sets of uh, database users and things like that. And the call interfaces fell into this category um, you know, there's a lot of things that we got for free once the um, Express Engine was in the database. You know, we inherited all of the scalability and security of the database, um, you know, all of the networking um, infrastructure, all of that. So, you know, first, the Oracle customer was on OCI, not Snappy. Um, and second, uh, the amount of resource in the development team um, that it freed up to work on um, core functionality in the multidimensional area was um, really pretty significant. We did rethink that, uh, the snappy decision um, at one point, and we almost reintroduced it, but uh, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, I think for, for my day, the, th- the thing that I, I look back at and think was a very interesting and impressive technical achievement was the work you did around SQL really and and in you know you I think you guys took a decision that SQL would be your your primary interface into multi into into OLAP and then ran with that idea I mean just tell us again a bit about where the idea came from and what you were trying to achieve with that and and you know why you went down that route rather than I suppose the alternative which is I suppose MDX and and, and those kind of languages 
Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, it was a really pretty simple decision, right? You're in the Oracle database, the primary languages um, of the Oracle database is SQL and PL SQL. And if you wanted customers, you had to go there. Um, you know, the number of people that were willing to write to proprietary APIs and languages is really quite small as compared to the number of people, um, you know, that would be writing SQL. Um, it meant that you had a chance for tools compatibility. You know, if you wanted to work with MicroStrategy, Cognos, you know, all the things of that day, um, you know, the answer was um, the answer was SQL. Um, you know, we did look at MDX um, over time, and we eventually did MDX. Um, SQL was by far um, more dominant, and MDX um, was really not um, a standard, so it was kind of squishy to work with. Um, you know, so, I mean, if, you know, it's, um, if, if you're in Oracle, you speak SQL, I think it's in a lot of ways as easy as that, um, and PL SQL. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I suppose, again, that, that was a, I suppose, SQL support, for, SQL is the language for OLAP. It went through, it went through a, a lot of kind of, I suppose, generations, didn't it? I mean, I remember... It, it, you know, I think OLAP table was one thing at a certain point. I mean, maybe what was your role in that? And, and you know, again, how did how did that sort of evolve over time, really, the way you went from something that was fairly, I suppose, just an API call through to you know, pretty much, I mean, we'll get on to analytic views in a moment, but, you know, that, that was quite, you know, you can see a lot of generations and evolution in that really over time. Yeah, well, I mean, my role in it was, um, you know, just as... Um, any number of people in the database development team try to figure it out, quite frankly. Um, you know, SQL as a data access method or language, um, it works well and it's not necessarily, um, you know, flat or dimensional. Um, you know, you select certain things and you have certain filters and, and it returns the data back, um, you know, as roads or these days as JSON or something like that. So from an expressibility point of view, um, you know, it's just fine. I can say in SQL, you know, select um, geography where level is a state just as well as I can um, in anything else. What was really much, much more difficult was figuring out um, the implementation. So you mentioned, oh, yeah, so you mentioned OLAP table. Um, you know, at first we used, um, external tables as the access method because that's uh, what you did in Oracle. Um, did I say external tables? Um, this, this call-out mechanism. Um, you know, because that's what was available. And over time, um, you know, we just went lower and lower in the database stack eventually into the um, SQL execution engine directly. But it, it, a lot of pragmatic steps, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and so I suppose the next evolution of that that I saw was 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 um, uh, I think it was I don't know if this is bumping out cube organized materialized views. Is that correct? I think it was something that I saw come out where where I, I, you know the I, in the past I was I, I'd used things like um, the cube by roll up statement, for example, within within Oracle SQL to create aggregates that that had multiple levels multiple aggregations in there, and then I saw cube organized materialized views. Maybe just you know remind us what that was and and the problem that was trying to solve and how it used your technology. Yeah, okay. Um, first, to step back just a little bit, um, the cube storage in the database uh, is extremely efficient um, at query time. Um, the, you know, Express and um, its storage was um, columnar storage before there was columnar storage. You know, it's an array-based storage mechanism that's pretty, that has a lot of similarities to columnar storage now, but that was built at a time when memory and CPU was absolutely precious, extremely expensive, and disk was slow. So the strategy was to um, expend an awful lot of time and energy into building and optimizing the cube. That's where all the that's where all the CPU went. And at query time, it was extremely fast at retrieval and extremely fast at accessing aggregate data. So the idea behind the cube organized materialized view 
is that it could play the role of aggregate storage for relational applications. Um, so you had some tables and you could build aggregate tables in the database, um, or you could build a cube in the database. Uh, the cube was simply much more efficient, very, very fast. Uh, the problem was that um, applications um, didn't know what a cube was. So what we did is built a rewrite mechanism. So you'd query the um, tables with sum in a group by, and the database would recognize that and rewrite that query into the cube where it was much faster and lighter on CPU. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I think that that was a very impressive sort of thing, and and it obviously allowed you to use any kind of BI tool. But it would, it but it would kind of still work with your with your cube storage, really. So, um, I mean, so so there was there was that, and then and then I'd heard that you, yeah, you know, as I said, you seemed involved in every kind of product area that I, I found interesting. Then I I found I found you again. You were working in the kind of in memory area of the database. Um, maybe just again, just for anybody who's kind of new to this area, when what what was what was the Product, what was going on with the product at the time, and 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 um, what was in memory trying to solve, and 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 kind of how did it relate to what you're doing with you know, cube organized materialized view? Yeah, okay. So I mentioned a minute ago that um, you know at a certain point in time, CPU and memory, um, you know, they were just precious. It's um, you know really expensive stuff, and um, you were careful with it. You used it wisely. Uh, these days. Um, you know, CPU is, God, it's almost free, right? Um, and memory isn't almost free, but you can get a lot of it. You know, these things are no longer, um, you know, in short supply. So, you know, what we recognized is that it would be best to make a shift from pre-building a cube or a collection of tables for that matter, and putting a lot of effort into processing those, pre-processing those um, with the goal of having more um, efficient um, retrieval query uh, with lots of CPU available, lots of memory available, um, we would make a shift towards dynamic computation, particularly of aggregate data. Um, and this is a very, very big shift. Uh, so the idea with uh, database in memory is that storage um, would become columnar, a lot of similarities um, with the express cube, and it would be put in memory where it could be um, scanned much faster. And we would make a very dramatic shift again from pre calculation and storage to dynamic computation. And uh, there's tremendous advantages to this. Um, one is you just don't pre-build a cube or pre-build a lot of aggregate tables. You save space there. But I think more importantly, when everything's computed dynamically, um, you can decide um, you know, at query time how you want to um, aggregate the data or how you want to dimension it, dimensional speak. Um, and you could approach much larger data sets, not just in terms of you know, uh, the number of rows in a table, but how wide a dimensional model might be. So if um, you know, building a 10-dimensional cube was expensive, um, you know, querying a 10-dimensional table is, is, is really cheap. Um, so you could really broaden um, the scope of uh, dimensional models in this context. Okay. And, and you were, I mean, I, mem- I think I remember speaking to you a while ago and you were involved in, um, some of the, I suppose, optimizations that go on in the background when these in-memory aggregation queries are running, I think like vector group by, and, and what, what was your what was your involvement in that? And what were those in the background doing really? Yeah, okay. So database in-memory, and this is as it stands today, um, you can think of as um, having two major parts to it. Um, on the storage side, there's the um, in-memory columnar tables. Uh, so data is loaded from disk and put into memory in this columnar format. The job of the in-memory columnar table is to be very, very fast at um, filter and scan and eliminate the need for indexes and things like that. The next part to this is the SQL processing side. 
Um, so if getting data into the SQL engine is uh, basically free from the in-memory columnar store, the next question is largely how quickly can you join it and how quickly can you aggregate it? And that's where um, our team here um, gets involved. We do the SQL execution side of database and memory. So we did this um, thing that we call in-memory aggregation. Um, if you look at the SQL plan, it's um, vector um, um, join and vector group by. And both of these just improved um, the execution of um, certain types of joins and aggregation by uh, God, you know, 10 to 50 times. Um, very, very dramatic um, changes. Okay, so and I suppose it brings us to the present day, really. I mean, so the product or the feature or product, whatever, are analytic views. I mean, just tell us about what that is, um, and um, I suppose the problem it's the problem it solves, and um, I suppose you know how it fits into this timeline, really, of things that you've worked on. Yeah, it's you know if you listen to what I was talking about in the past, you can draw a pretty straight line. Um, you know, we've uh, the dimensional model is um, incredibly useful. It's really easy to work with. Um, it, it has a lot of value. The storage um, as separate multi-dimensional storage has always been uh, a bit of a liability, um, often with um, advantage performance. Um, but what we wanted to do as in-memory became available and you know the, the computing resources became cheap, is we wanted to separate the dimensional model, keep that value, and marry that with the flexibility um, and now the speed of um, the in-memory column store and in-memory processing. So the idea behind the analytic view is that it's a, uh, it's a new object in the database, well, new as of uh, Oracle 12, so I guess not that new. Um, but it's an object in the database that represents data dimensionally. It has all of the same um, uh, model constructs. You know, it has hierarchies, levels, attributes, measures, and things like that, as we had in Express, and later the OLAP option, but it has no storage. Everything is accessed dynamically. So you query it, and you calculate as a dimensional object, which is really nice, and it accesses data wherever it might happen to be. Um, you know, be it a local table in the memory column store, or you know, it could be uh, you know far away in an external table, or you know something like that. Um, you know, that was the fundamental concept. And you know, we we did this with RAM. We tried this with Olapi. Um, we returned to RAM, and. Um, you know, we eventually separated out the layers really, really cleanly. Um, in a lot of ways, technology um, caught up with the concept. Mm. Mm. It sounds like it's, it's in a way what you're trying to do with 9.0 OLAP back in the day, but with, with technology and, uh, and maybe kind of, I suppose, in a way, just the benefit of experience, um, but particularly technology that makes it possible now. That's exactly right. And I would say definitely with the benefit of experience. Um, yeah, this, yeah. This, was, yeah. this was really hard to do for a long time. You know, oh, yeah. How, how do you keep the best of a dimensional model and how yeah. do you layer this over um, relational and now other storage, right? It's not just relational out there, is it? Mm, yeah. So, so what would the I mean, what would the use? I mean, if you're if you're someone who is maybe um, I don't know using the all, the always free um, you know scheme now with Oracle Cloud, you've kind of down you've accessed uh, or you set up a autonomous um, you know data warehouse. How, how would what would the experience be like with with analytic views? Is it just writing SQL as normal, or, or, or how would it be simpler or faster or easier or, or what really? Well, um, first of all, it can be writing SQL as usual. Um, the return to why you would do this a little bit. Um, when you um, layer a model over data, um, you're imparting meaning on that data, right? So, you know, the problem in a sense with relational tables is um, you have a table in the database has no idea what the intent is. So I have a table called sales and the database says, great, you got a table called sales and I got another one called geography and it says, good for you, you got a table called geography. Um, 
it, it really doesn't know what the relationship between those tables is. You might have a constraint, but otherwise it has no idea. Well, when you have a dimensional model, um, you can express how you want to use that data. So if I say, um, you know, I have a sales table and I have product geography and time hierarchies, and if you specify the relationship um, between those, the database can do some wonderful things. Um, one thing it can do is it can explain um, how those tables are used to an application. So instead of querying the data dictionary and saying, great, I got a couple tables, um, I'll, I guess I'll figure out what to do with it. You query the data dictionary, it says you have sales, and sales is dimension by product geography and time, and sales is aggregated in a certain way, and the intent is known and can be communicated to the end user and the application. That's, that's a really powerful thing. You can define calculations really easily. So let's say I want to do something as simple as the uh, percent change in sales this year versus last year. If I'm doing that in the analytic view, I have one function that says sales this year versus last year, uh, and the hierarchy is time. The database figures the rest out. If I do this in a query, it's up to me. I have to express that. I have to express the aggregation, the outer joins, the uh, uh, you name it, you know, the null data handling, all this other kind of stuff. So you can embed calculations in the analytic view, and it's not the database's responsibility, it's not your responsibility at query time um, to be able to do that. You can optimize performance. Um, you know, the analytic view knows the relationships and it knows where the data is. So let's say, um, you know, the data happens to be, uh, you're running on um, Exadata and it's a row store table. The analytic view knows that and it generates the optimal SQL for that. Let's say the data is in an external table. It knows that and it generates the optimal SQL for that. Um, so you have tons and tons of optimization opportunities when you have the metadata. Um, all, that's, all that's good stuff. Um, but in a lot of ways, to me, it gets down to servicing the end user. And how do you, how do you service that user, make it easy, communicate um, the usefulness of the data and things like that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so, I mean, how, how would that, I mean, what you described there about knowing about the relationships and the hierarchies and so on, you, you obviously could define a dimension within, within the sort of the Oracle database metadata in the past. And how, how does this differ to say, just to create dimension statement? Well, the, yeah, the, the create dimension statement, um, I'll just say on the relational side of the house for a better, for lack of a better term, its purpose is to define the relationship, um, between a dimension table and a fact table and a star schema, and it gives a little bit more metadata um, than, a than, a, than a foreign key constraint. It gives you the relationship between um, certain columns of the dimension table. You know, this level rolls up to this level, it rolls up to this level. Um, it doesn't do anything beyond that. So its primary purpose is really in the query rewrite mechanism of materialized views. In the um, analytic view hierarchy, you get that and you get a complete business description of the um, hierarchy. So the hierarchy says, great, you know, you have levels, month, quarter, and year. Um, you have textual descriptions, you have presentation metadata. So time is, uh, you know, time is calendar year, or, you know, whatever, whatever text description you want. Um, it is completely extensible. You can add your own application metadata um, to that. Um, it plays a role in calculation definition. Um, it really combines physical properties, um, semantic properties, and presentation properties in one object. Okay, so so how would I, I can imagine? Um, so how would a, a, a tool other than say write 
at all other than writing in SQL yourself, make use of these features? Is it, I work with a tool called Looker quite a lot recently, and, and you know, it is a straight SQL tool against kind of databases. How might it leverage some of the, is it something that's completely transparent to the, to the calling application or other ways that applications can, can kind of really, I suppose, make more use of these features if they do things in a certain way? Yeah, it, it can be. We support um, right now four different access methods into the AV. Um, one is if, if you want to take full advantage of the analytic view, um, you can write um, hierarchical SQL. That's my term. Um, that is SQL that is aware of the dimensional model and the special features of the, um, of the hierarchy in the analytic view. Um, so if you really want to exploit it, you can do that. If you're an application developer, you're building applications um, in Application Express or you know something else that you have control over the SQL, um, that's a great way to go because you get the most power, the most features, and it's really a lot easier to write SQL looking for calculations and aggregate data against an analytic view than it is tables. Um, but you have to be aware of the analytic view to do that. Um, if you're a MDX-based application, we do have an MDX interface, and that's native to the Oracle database. If you're not aware of either of those, but you still want to get at the analytic view, um, we have a rewrite mechanism. So there is a there's a um, form of a relational view that has a couple keywords that tells it that it's um, accessing an analytic view. And you can then write um, just regular old star queries to these views, and the database will rewrite that into the analytic view. Okay. And, and how, how might that, I mean, is that something that, what, what would you, and just describe what you'd put, put into the kind of the, the, view, the view statement to have that happen then? Um, you select from an analytic view, and you include two words, um, fact rows. Okay. Okay. And, and that, and that, and, and so that is documented. That's something that, that, you know, is out there sort of, I mean, that sounds very interesting actually. It is. Um, it is, uh, that, that feature first exists in the autonomous data warehouse, um, in the cloud that's available now. And, um, yeah, it's just, if, if you look at, um, create view, uh, that's part of the, the create view statement. Okay, I'll follow, we'll follow up on that actually. So, what? what so, you mentioned hierarchical um, SQL then, and I remember back in again back in the days of SQL, uh, you know, Oracle OLAP SQL. There was a similar concept. So, what what would that be then, and how does that how how does that I suppose leverage the features even more kind of directly? Yeah. Okay. The um, the cool one of the cool things about the analytic view is that. Um, it returns the columns of the uh, original data sources that you had. So if, uh, you know, your uh, table had month, quarter, year, or, you know, city, states, and things like that, you get those columns in the analytic view. But they also have special columns. Uh, we call these hierarchical attributes. Um, we manufacture those. They're pseudo columns. Every hierarchy has certain things. They come for free. We create a unique key for every dimension member. And the purpose of this is to make values um, unique across levels, right? New York City, New York State. We take care of that automatically. So we give you a key for that. It has information about parentage. So for any value, what is my parent? What is my ancestor? What level do I exist at? Oh, I'm a month, I'm a quarter, I'm a year. Um, it has all of these types of things. It has hierarchical sorting. So the analytic view of the hierarchies itself always include all of these columns, and they're tremendously useful for navigating data um, easily. The analytic view um, returns all data, um, detail, and aggregate as rows um, selecting from the same column. So aggregate data is embedded in the analytic view. It's calculated dynamically, but it's embedded in the analytic view. So I can say something like um, select geography member name at country level and a measure, and that's all I need to do. 
I don't need to explain how data is aggregated, how it's joined. I don't need to explain how a time series calculation is calculated. That's all part of the definition of the analytic view, and I just select it. If I'm selecting from tables, it's up to me, the application, to express all of the logic of that query. Mm. So, so you know, you, you've, I guess that you know the the story of your of your time doing what you're doing is 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 you know the ultimate thing you've done now is separated the kind of the the, the multi dimensional model, the OLAP model from storage, really. And I think when 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 you know, I think you and I first discussed this feature a couple of years ago, <clears throat> you were really at pains to say this is not like the next thing of Oracle OLAP. This is. This is about the, 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 I suppose, the way in which you access data and the, and the, and the metadata model. But, you know, we're de-emphasizing the, the storage because the storage could be anything in a way. Is that kind of, is that a good summary? Of- yeah, that's, it is. And it's very important. So, you know, part of this has been getting away from dedicated multidimensional storage and letting something else play that role. And with, um, with modern versions of the database in memory, um, now um, Exadata, the storage offload, and all that kind of stuff, we have a lot of ways to optimize the storage and the retrieval and the calculation of data um, in the relational engine. So that's all good. We need to keep, um, you know, we need to keep the model. So you're right. It's about separating those layers and taking best advantage of each. But it's also about something else. Um, you know, the database has the ability to access a lot of different data types. So, you know, we have regular old row store tables. We have in-memory columnar tables. We have um, external tables. Um, and underneath an external table might be a flat file. We have um, Big Data SQL, where the storage now is far away and disorganized in a uh, Hadoop cluster, for example. All of this can be represented in the Oracle database um, for SQL query. So the analytic view can now be a common interface to all of these different data types. And from a consumption point of view, the analytic view unifies the presentation of all of these. That is, if you learn the analytic view and know how to query that, it doesn't matter what the underlying storage is. Um, And then the part two of this is the performance. The analytic view is very, very aware of how data is stored, and it optimizes its SQL for that, and it has its own caches um, to handle um, caching, for example, of aggregate data. alongside the analytic view. So it's not just running away in a sense from a data type you don't want anymore. It's being able to layer a dimensional model over any data type. Okay. So is, is this your work done now then? Have you, have you, has this reached perfection in your mind or, or, or yeah, is there, I suppose, is there one more problem to be solved in this area? I mean, where, where would you see, you know, where would you, I suppose, what, what areas are you working on or what have you announced recently at Open World or what was the next thing you're trying to do with this? Oh, yeah, first of all, it's never done. <laughs> um, <laughs> we all know that. Um, what, what we're really concentrating on right now is what I was just talking about. It's the analytic view as the presentation point of the data um, for any data um, well-organized and in the local node of the database or highly disorganized and far away. Um, you know, a remote table, a Hadoop cluster, um, you know, a JSON object, you name it. Anything that can be represented with SQL in the Oracle database um, can be represented through an analytic view in a consistent and codified and performant way. That's, that's, that's really what we're working on now. It's, it's kind of a last mile problem. Um, you know, it's, you go through all this trouble gathering, storing, organizing data, how is it presented and how is it accessed efficiently? Okay. 
and 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 probably quite a few people on the, listen to this podcast wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have suppose, be so familiar with Oracle these days because they might be from say working with Snowflake or BigQuery or whatever, or maybe they're developers starting out. And and the autonomous data warehouse is is now available, isn't it, on the always free sort of program with Oracle Cloud? And you you mentioned about analytic views being in there. So again, maybe just kind of mention, I suppose, how might someone get started with looking at an analytic views on there? And what would be a good thing for them to sort of try out to get a flavor of, of how this works? Yeah, okay. Um, first of all, analytic views are in every edition of the Oracle database, and there is no there is no charge. It's not a licensed option or anything like that. Um, you know, if I were to do it, I, I'd do two things. From a learning point of view, um, there's great tutorials on livesql.oracle.com. Just go there and search analytic view and you'll find them. So if you just want to poke around at them, um, do that. You can play with them live. Um, one of the, the getting started tutorial is always in the top 10 tutorials on MySQL. Um, it's hit a lot. So that's, that's just a mechanical how do you learn type thing. Um, the next thing I would do is from a, uh, you know, I'd pick an application that just anything where it's obvious that you know, some variable, some measure uh, varies by, you know, a few things, you know, sales by product geography and time. Um, start to build something super simple and just get your feet wet and then, you know, just kind of expand from there. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's not rocket science. <laughs> I suppose yeah, it, it, that's really good. I mean, so it's um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it definitely um, I, I've been impressed with what you guys are doing, and I think it's um, it's, it's interesting. There's a it seems to be to me a bit of a general renaissance in the in the in, in interest in, in data modeling at the moment. And but one of the things actually I find is a little bit of a lost skill or a lost awareness is 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 dimensional modeling and the value of a of a business model in the database. And you know, it's in, it's good to see you guys you know still putting emphasis on this and and taking the stuff that you worked on you know, many, many years ago, but, but making it relevant for people today. And, and and I suppose in a way, making it accessible as well. I mean, I think the thing about analytic views, you know, the, the thing that probably not people aren't aware of, it's just so easy to use, really. Uh, and in fact, you know, SQL you write with it can actually be simpler than, than, than writing normal SQL because, uh, you know, the way you've done, is, is that the case? It's writing the SQL to the analytic view can be incredibly easy. Um, you know, I, I get back to, um, just a simple comparison of I bought sales this year versus last year. Um, you know, that's not easy to do. Um, you know, you've got to do the, um, you know, you've got to aggregate data um, to a certain level. Then you've got to do the time series calculation. You've got to worry about well, what happens if I'm doing this um, at the daily level and, and sales didn't exist last year. How do you do the null handling? How do you do any of that? Um, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's not easy. That's good. Well, Bud, it's been great speaking to you. It's been great speaking to you. And I'm conscious of time that we're taking you for a long time here, but it's, um, but it, it's been great speaking to you and I say, you know, you're someone who all they 20 years of, of consulting in this space. And I think you're, you've been the product manager of every new release that I've been thinking. This is really every, yeah, it always been very interesting really. And, uh, yeah, and uh, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. And it's been, I'll post, you know, we'll get some links and, uh, uh, to, to the kind of live SQL uh, tutorial and so on. And uh, and yeah, it's been fantastic speaking to you. All right, very good. We'll, we'll try to keep you happy going into the future, Mark.